Good morning. It's good to see all your smiling faces. I'm here to uh, announce the beginning of our introduction to the Missions Commission coming up the first two Sundays in March. And all through February, we want to uh, let you hear from some of our other missionaries that will not be there. And they've done that. We're going to be able to do that through videos. Uh, this week, we're going to look at a video from Don and Cheryl Schroeder, who are serving in Bangladesh. Does anybody know where Bangladesh is? Oh, there's one back there. Anyway, it's north and kind of east of India. And uh, it's a smaller, much smaller country than India, but it's very populated. The interesting thing about Bangladesh is though it's 89% Muslim and 10% uh, Hindu, they have religious freedom there. And you just don't think about that, particularly in relation to countries right next to them like India. Anyway, Don and Cheryl have been serving there for many years. They've had difficult problems. They've had to come home for a, uh, a time. But their commitment to what God has had them uh, to do in Bangladesh has held firm. And they've gone back and they've been there for some time now also. Their ministry is working primarily in the small communities, helping to church plant, plant churches, to uh, evangelize. And one of their biggest things they're doing now is working with indigenous outreach workers. They've got four couples, families, that they're counseling, mentoring, and training uh, to reach out to their communities and to support the local churches there, which are usually very small house churches. Let's hear what they have to say. Greetings from Bangladesh and welcome to our home. We look forward to this chance to share some about our current lives, and we thank you for this opportunity. We've been connected to Grace Community Church since 1999, when the Marangas invited us to speak. We first came to Bangladesh in August of 2000, and we've been here with SIM since then, and part of the team. And we'd just like to tell you a little bit about the country, and then specifically what we do here. So come on along really describes the spiritual condition of the people in Bangladesh is from Romans chapter 10 verses 1 to 3. Apostle Paul was talking about the nation of Israel, but it really applies to Muslim Megalis as well. They have a zeal for God, but not in accordance with knowledge, not knowing about God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own. So we've come here to share with people the real knowledge, the true knowledge of God's righteousness through Christ. And we thank you for your part in this. Instead, we're a part of a larger team of people here serving in Bangladesh at different locations around the country, involved in different ministries. We have people from Canada, Bangladesh, Australia, New Zealand, UK, South Korea, Philippines, and India, all here to share the gospel and to, to make Christ known among the Muslim Bengali people. It's located in Asia, part of the Indian subcontinent. You can see this picture, the country of Bangladesh has the BD in it, surrounded on three sides by India, a little teeny beast of a border with Myanmar. Uh, Nepal is a close by neighbor and Pakistan is a far away neighbor. Uh, Pakistan and Bangladesh used to be the same country, and Bangladesh got their independence from 
Pakistan in 1971. We live in a town named Faripur in a little bit of the southwestern part of the country. Uh, the total population of Bangladesh is 167 million people. As compared to you guys home in Alabama, that has about 5 million people. Uh, our area is 56,000 square miles. Your area is about 50,000 square miles. So where you guys have 100 people per square mile, we've got about 3,000 people per square mile. Basically all speaking the same language. About 92% are Muslims, 8% Hindu, and only a very small percent Christian. Bangladesh is a uh, basically flat delta country, a very beautiful country, a lot of fields, a lot of beautiful areas, a lot of water, a lot of rice. Rice is the main crop. This picture just shows a uh, rice planting time in the area that we live in. It's really nice to travel around the country. People are friendly and welcoming and um, yeah, it's been good to get to know so many people over the years. How do we get to live in Bangladesh? Well, foreigners have to have visas in order to live and work here long term. And the visa we have is to teach English in a project. I am the English teacher. And we find that this is a very good way to build relationships with people in the community and make friendships. And also, it is an opportunity for sowing seeds of truth in the English classes. During the COVID pandemic, the country was in lockdown and much of um, learning went online. So my English classes, of course, went online. And here are some slides from some of those online classes. In one of the classes, they requested me to do some teaching about proper use of social media. And there you can see I've incorporated some of Philippians 4.8 as a guideline or a filter to know whether the content is good or not. And so there are ways to inc include bits of scripture into these lessons. Schools were closed here for about 20 months during lockdown. Last August, they opened again and I was able to start teaching some classes in person in the schools. And it was a great joy to uh, be again with these, these young people. This is a class of middle schoolers. The girls are in this picture are practicing their questions and answers in English. Two other groups that I get to work with are teachers at two different schools. One is a school for the more well-to-do in our town, and the other is a Christian school for lower-income children. It is a privilege to work with both of these groups, and I feel it is strategic in that they are the ones who are training up the next generation. My primary ministry outreach is through our IOW Evangelists, IOW stands for Indigenous Outreach Workers. These are brothers in Christ from Muslim backgrounds themselves who having come to faith and who've been identified as gifted and 
reaching out in evangelism. I've now moved to different parts of southwestern Bangladesh and are reaching out with the good news of the gospel. The bulk of the outreach here is really friendship evangelism, meeting people on a public level in tea stalls or neighborhoods, and then finding those who have some interest in the gospel, some openness to considering spiritual things and going to their houses and following up with that. Uh, most of these men have been working with us since about 2010, and we are thankful for their faithfulness and we're thankful for the fruit that has been born. Many have come to faith. Uh, many baptisms have happened over the last 10 years. I meet with the men on a monthly basis. We do have a small office in one of the centrally loaded, located towns, and we meet together and sing and share, study scripture, encourage each other, pray for each other, pray for the people of Bangladesh. It's really been an encouraging ministry to be a part of, um, blessed by my friendship with these men and blessed by their commitment to the gospel and their desire to see the kingdom of God come to Bang Bangladesh. We would like to share some prayer requests. And the first one is to pray for the IOW brothers and their families who are reaching out with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Pray that more could hear about the righteousness of God through Christ in Bangladesh. Also pray that the Lord of the Harvest would raise up more long-term workers to serve him in reaching out to the Muslim Bengali people. And pray for Cheryl as she uses English as an outreach means to teachers and students both in person and online. We appreciate the support, the concern, the interest, your faithfulness over the past 22 plus years. We thank you for encouraging us in the work and we do pray that many more Muslim Bengalis would get a chance to hear about the good news and that Bangladesh would welcome the kingdom of God and that the church would grow in this place. Thanks again. Isn't it great to be able to hear from our church family around the world? And the technology that we have to be able to just hear from them and see what the Lord's doing uh, over in Bangladesh. Uh, what a privilege it is to be able to hear from them. You'll be hearing from others as the weeks go on leading up to Missions Conference. Um, it's really good to see you today, and it's good to be able to walk without pain. It's wonderful. And, uh, you know, we take walking for granted. I'm not ever going to do that again. Um, I am so, so thankful to be able to walk and not have pain. And I'll be able to practice with my softball girls this week without grimacing. And it'll be great. Um, I wanted to take you through uh, something today that I hope you'll find interesting. Um, it is about studying the Bible and I've given you um, a blue sheet. The blue sheet has more on it than the yellow sheet. Isn't that incredible? So that, that's really what you want the yellow sheet to look like. But you're going to fill in your yellow sheet as you listen to the message today. And then next week, 
we will hand out, Lord willing, all of my notes from 1 John, from chapter 1, verse 1, through chapter 2, verse 2. But I wanted to take some time this morning to just share with you the Bible reading challenge. You know, every month for the last couple of years, we've been having this challenge, and, you know, I've had different kinds of responses to it, and, and a lot of it's been really good, and it's hard to keep up, right? I understand that, but there's grace. But um, I did want to share with you um, something a little bit different this time in our Bible reading challenge, an opportunity for us to kind of look through and study a little bit together through um, John's Gospel, uh, chapters 13 through 17, which in context is the Upper Room Discourse. And um, I wanted it to be something that you would find valuable um, and listen, I understand you may have your Bible reading, Bible study plan, and you're looking at this, maybe want that, this is too much more, and that's fine, but I would um, encourage those of you who maybe don't have that in your life to consider this challenge, and what I put down there for you are the dates that correspond to the challenge that is before you, and that's to kind of go through chapters 13 through 17, and take a little bit of section each day or two. You'll see the dates there. Sometimes, most of the time, I give you two days. That's a lot of grace. And uh, there's a couple times when I give you three based on the length of the text. But one of the frustrations I think I've heard over the years with people is, is um, I really would like to be able to study the Word myself. And, you know, I don't know how, how to do that. And um, I think it's it, this is maybe like a starter for that. So... You can see the dates there, February uh, through the middle of March, February 6th through the middle of March. In case you did not know, today is February the 6th. So you have today and tomorrow for your first assignment, which is verses 1 through 11 of John uh, 13. Um, in Bible study methods, I was taught by George Morange. I was taught by Dr. Wex, John Wex. I was taught by Rick Oglesby. And they all said the same thing. <laughs> um, but it was good because you know how we are. We need repetition. And um, so I wanted to just present to you some basic things about studying the Bible. There's um, different steps to it. And uh, these came from notes that I've had for years. Um, there's four steps. And there's really a fifth step that, that I'll tell you about. But... It's called the verification step. And, and the reason for that is because you're going to run into, like we have in First John, you're going to run into different viewpoints at times about different texts. And it's good to be able to um, kind of verify the direction you're going so that if you're on an island by yourself and no one's on that island with you, you know, that may feel a little uncomfortable to you. That doesn't mean it's wrong, but it just means that there aren't others who have that same viewpoint. Um, there's... Four steps that I've given you here. Observation, what does the text say? Um, not what do I want it to say, but what does it say? Interpretation, what does the text mean? Not what does the text mean to me, okay? Because that can you can get, really get off on a rabbit trail with that. And then correlation, what other passages may help bring clarity to the chapter or sections of Scripture you're studying, which happens a lot. I mean, there are, there's a lot of different um, Scriptures at times that, help support your point that you're making or the study that you may be doing. 
And then the application step, which people generally want first. <laughs> they want just a simple explanation with a lot of application. But there's a process to that. And one of the things that the Lord has convinced me with over the years is the responsibility to teach the Bible, the Spirit of God is going to do the application piece in your life better than I can. I can give you some things to think about, but the Spirit of God is the one that's going to work in your life and my life on uh, helping refine our walk. So how does what I'm studying impact my life uh, today? That's kind of, those are the steps. The, like I said, the fifth step I didn't put on there, but it's the verification step. Kind of maybe look at your Bible study, uh, Bible that you have. I would encourage you, if you, if you do not have a, a Bible without um, Bible study notes on the bottom, get one. Because you can become so reliant on that person. And we respect these people, right? They've done a lot of work, um, a lot of study, well-known theologians. Some of you might have a Ryrie study Bible, MacArthur study Bible. But what you're going to find, if you compare those, <laughs> there's going to be areas of agreement and areas of disagreement, okay? So that's why you go to the verification step, because you want to kind of get insight from other people who poured hours and hours of time into studying. And you know what's going to happen to you? You're going to read their notes and go, I disagree with that. That's okay, right? It's okay. Um, but that, that's going to happen to you. It's uncomfortable, but I think it's important in terms of, of you beginning to, to study the Scriptures. Um, these are uh, just some things to think through. I won't read all those. I'll explain the first one. Read the text five times. That's what that means. <laughs> Whatever you're studying, okay, read it five times. Think about it for a few hours. I put here at least three hours. Get away from it. You know, um, go, go play pickleball. Dude, I love that sport. I've only played it a couple of times, but that is an awesome little game. You don't even have to be really good at tennis or ping pong or whatever your mind is. You get a pickleball, play, it's fun. So read the text five times. And then uh, the plus one is after you've maybe taken a few hours or even a 24-hour period. And then you can see all the other things there that will help you in, in looking at the text. Because I don't know that people appreciate the teachers, like you guys have Sunday school teachers and such, and the amount of time that it takes to consider all these things that are there. Um, so that's really, really important. Um, so there's just things there for your own reading. I gave you um, an example of uh, John 6. I taught this in um, the jail a couple of weeks ago. And um, these are just observations. These are examples of observations. Observations can be in the form of statements, questions, things that you're, you maybe, you know, are like, man, I had never noticed that. So verse 1, after what things, you know, when you're reading through verse 1, these are this is what I put. Where was Jesus before going to Tiberias? Is that important? I think so. There, you know, Christ in his life and ministry had purpose and intention. So you're going to notice as you're walking through there, there's purpose and intention. Always look on the front side and back side of a text. And then the third thing I saw there was, uh, what do I need to know about the Sea of Galilee? Is that important? Yeah, it's important. And what do I need to know about it? Um, so I did that for you. I won't go through all the slides. Thank you, Amanda, for putting them together. <laughs> I won't go through them all. But each one of those verses, I think I did the first four, there's the statements or questions. 
that I have as I'm going to a text, okay? So what I'm asking all of us to do is to take this challenge. It's the challenge I take every single week before I stand up here. And so um, those of you who teach the Bible know this already, and those of you who may not have opportunities to teach the Bible, this is kind of where all that starts. So I don't know what you're going to do with it. You may take the blue sheet of paper, make a paper airplane, and, and, and leave and whatever. But um, I, I would hope that we could all take that challenge because... I remember a guy in New York, his name is Bill Wyckoff, and if he's watching, hey, Bill Wyckoff, one of the things that he used to ask me about was studying the Bible. And he asked me all the time about studying the Bible. How do you go about doing that? This guy was in his 60s. Uh, he climbed poles for a living, worked for a cable company. Working for a cable company in the south is one thing. Working for a cable company in the north, when you're climbing poles and it's 30 below, that's quite another. But he, he was just a man's man. Yeah, he was like this big, burly dude. And he would just always hate that. How do you study that? How do you know that? You know. And so it's one of those things where I had an opportunity just to sit down with him and kind of go over with him. Hey, this is this is what you do because he was getting frustrated when he was studying, and that can happen. So I just wanted to present that to you this morning, and and uh, if you'd like to take that challenge, great. And you can send me the things you observe, and I'd love to read them. Okay, I have people that send me things all the time, so I'd love to read them. I don't always, I'm not always able to read them right away, but I'll do my best to, to do that. So, all right, well, um, that's what I have for you to start out this morning. That was a little sermonette, and uh, we're going to have a word of prayer, and then uh, Ron Gardner is going to come and, and lead us uh, in worship. Lord, I pray we're ready to be here today, um, that we have considered... Um, the great gift that we have to be able to come together and to be able to worship you and be able to do that freely uh, in this building. And so this morning I pray that um, as we worship, Lord, that you'd be honored. I pray that we've considered being here before we sit down, that we're ready to be here and that, um, Lord, your spirit would move in our hearts in our lives this morning, and uh, we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning, everybody. <laughs> it's good to see everybody today. I just, we just kind of spread out here, and boy, we're just kind of full here, and it's really great to see everybody. You know, just coming together is an act of worship. I don't know whether you realize it, but if you're coming here to honor the Lord, we're here just uh, just being here and even having fun together and talking and, and things like that is, is just great. Now today, usually whenever we have our worship time and we plan a worship service, we'll, we'll kind of zero in a certain aspect of God, maybe His love, uh, maybe His grace, His mercy, something like that, you know. Today, you know, I just thought uh, the choir is going to be doing a song, Is He Worthy? And I think you like that, and, they, and most of you know that song, and you can sing along with us in a few minutes, and we can worship together that way. But, uh, but I, I thought, well, let's just, let's just worship God, who He is. I mean, God is He's the Father, He's the Son, and He's the Holy Spirit. And bless His heart, the Holy Spirit gets left out a lot of times. You know, we sing a lot about the Father, and we sing a lot about the Son. Sometimes we don't sing so much about the Holy Spirit. But anyway, so we just want to honor Him and all that He is. And so we're going to uh, come together, and we're going to uh, start off singing, Come Thou Almighty King. Let's all stand, may we?
lift up the name of the Lord Jesus. Lord, my heart can grow so far away and cold. And yet for me, your love is still the same. What a wonderful God we worship. Lord, my heart can grow so
to the Lord this morning. Hope you worship the Lord through that song. Thank you. You may be seated. God is the only one. Christ is the only one who is worthy. The Bible tells us, tells us that he's the only one. Y'all can be seated for a minute. Just give them just a little bit of a rest, a breather. The only one who is worthy to open the scrolls. The only one. No one else that's ever walked this earth is worthy as Christ is worthy. No one ever who has ever walked this earth is worthy of our worship. Not so much that it's our worship, but is worthy of worship. And we come together as a house full of believers this morning to worship and adore the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Is he worthy? You have a chance to respond as we sing this song. We want you to sing with us. He is worthy. He is. And we want you to sing with us. Let's worship the Lord together. Is he worthy? Jesus, our Messiah, hold forever the 
expect you to teach after that get myself together what a scene in heaven that's going to be people ask me from time to time Thad, what do you think heaven's going to be like I said it's going to be like the Bible describes it and the center of heaven is Christ. And that's good enough. It's more than good enough. I could just preach a message on that today. <laughs> Let's pray. Lord, there is no one that's worthy but you. We stand amazed in the presence of Jesus Christ, the Lord. Help us to live lives that are holy. I fear the church is so pulled up close to the world that it's it's hard to tell at times. Help us to be mindful that whether we verbally say anything or not, our lives speak. Help us to be mindful of that in all circumstances that we would be quick to hear and slow to speak and slow to anger. With the help of the Holy Spirit, we pray that you would be honored this morning. 
in what we see from your word that we would make application to our own lives. In Christ's name, amen. Well, have you ever swept something under the carpet or under the rug? You ever had your mom or your dad tell you to sweep the floors and when you, maybe just for the sake of illustration, you have hardwood floors all throughout your home except in the living room where there's a coffee table there and your mom or your dad say sweep the floors and you do that until you get to the living room and you sweep the floor but you put the trash under the carpet. Any of you ever done that? Or your boss has told you to sweep the kitchen and you sweep it but you hide things. This section in 1 John chapter 1 verse 10 through chapter 2 verse 2 is a continuation of John's argument that sin still exists in the life of a believer. That's my understanding of the text. As I presented it to you last week, there are a couple of different viewpoints of 1 John. There's the relational viewpoint, and then there's the fellowship viewpoint. I believe in the context of the passage, he's speaking of fellowship. Seems to be pretty clear about that. And that he challenges his readers to think about walking in the light as he's in the light. When we walk in the light, as he's in the light, things are revealed in our lives. I don't know about you, but sometimes it can look kind of ugly. Certainly can in my life. And John's reminding these guys that they still have a sin nature, verse 8. You still sin. <laughs> There's that battle between the spirit and the flesh. How many of you would say that battle is continual? It's continual. And so John is reminding them that it's a continual battle. But he's also encouraging them in verse 9 by saying, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, even the unrighteousness we're not familiar with, <laughs> that we don't know. Can you imagine how many times in our lives as believers we have sinned against the holy God unbeknownst? I think it's probably a pretty good bit. We come to verse 10, and again, he presents this if we say that we. And as I pointed out, but I don't think I can point it out enough, John's including himself in this statement. And I think if we're consistent, he is including the apostles, and now as he is talking to these believers, he's including them. So in this particular section in 110 through 2.2, which this morning we're going to go through just verse 10. Um, and you say, why? Well, it's 11.15 and I already gave you a little mini sermon. Plus, next week fits really well with communion. Might I encourage you that that's not just a day we come to sip some juice and eat some bread. But there should be evaluation that goes on. Couldn't be bad to have the evaluation go on 
before we get here so that we're ready to celebrate together the accomplishment of the atonement of Christ. Um, so this morning we're going to, with the Lord's help, get through verse 10. But I want to read this section, 110 through 2.2. John writes, If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, his word is not in us. That, how many of you would say that's strong language? Strong language. I believe it's strong language because if you're a spiritual father, which John was, chapter 2, verse 1 says he's writing to little children. A spiritual father is concerned about spiritual children, aren't you? If you're maturing in your faith, don't you pray for your children? Don't you pray they'd walk in the ways of the Lord? You do, right? John's concerned about these believers, and we've already pointed it out, but Gnosticism was kind of coming on the scene in the late first century and really took root in the second century, but there were also other false teachers and such out, and so John is writing not only to combat that, but I believe to, to just warn them that in this life, we're not going to be perfect. We're not. And all we have to do is get up in the morning and look at ourselves in the mirror. And we're going to go, yep, it's not happening in this life. Verse two, or chapter 2, verse 1, he says, My little children, born ones is the literal translation of that. I am writing these things, what things? The things at least that he's already said, and probably the things that are past it as well. To you so that you may not sin. That's the standard. <laughs> Why would he write to him and say, My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you won't sin a whole lot. What's the standard of the Lord? That we would be what? Holy. The standard is perfection. In this life, we're not going to be perfect. But the standard is that you may not sin. And then he gives them great news, which we'll speak more about next week. If anyone sins... And that idea there is if anyone sins, and we do, okay? We have an advocate. Circle that word. You like that word. With the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. So let's go back and let's look at this verse, verse 10, because in this verse... He deals with believers who may disagree with the Lord. Is that possible? That a believer would disagree with the Lord about a sin in their life. Is that possible? I think that's possible. That a believer would deny that what's been revealed is sin. You think that happens? I can't speak for your life, but I can speak for my own. And there have been plenty of times when I've tried to rationalize something and say, that's not sin. Anybody ever been in that boat? Or you, oh, that's just a mistake. I've come to hate that word. A mistake is something we make. A sin is against what? God. So, 
Can a believer disagree with the Lord? Yeah. Can a believer get to the point where they deny what's been revealed to them as sin? Mm-hmm. I believe that's exactly what John's talking about here. Let me go through it, give you a little bit of academic stuff. Don't you like that? If we say that we have not sinned, that word if there is a third class condition. Don't you care about that? And it means this. If it may be true of us or if it may not be true of us. So what's John saying? If it may be true of us. If we make this claim, he's saying, that we have not sinned, that what's been revealed is not sin. We make him a liar and his word is not in us. There's two observations from the very beginning that need to be made. Number one is that John puts himself in the equation along with the apostles and these believers, these little children or born ones that he's writing to. The second thing that we need to note here is that have not sinned, and and this is very academic, but if you don't catch it, then you could really kind of mess up, I think. It's in the perfect tense. And so what that means is this. If we claim, or if we say, that at some point in the past that was not sin, and we continue to say it's not sin, that's what John is saying. So that if we say something happened to us four years ago, we say, I didn't sin, and we still have the mindset that that wasn't sin, but the Lord's revealed to us that it was sin. You get the meaning? Then we deny, excuse me, then we deny him, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. This is very, very strong language. But I think John, like I said a few minutes ago, is making the point to believers Hey, look, in this lifetime, there's not going to be perfection. And when you're walking in the light and the Lord shows you something in your life that is sin, don't deny that it's sin. Because what has he just said in the previous verse, verse 9? If we what? Confess our sins. So we don't deny that whatever was revealed was sin. That would be opposite of what took place in verse 9. We need to confess. So John's dealing with believers who may say that they had not sinned, that what they had done was not sin. In other words, they're disagreeing with God. That was just a mistake, Lord. I I really didn't hate my brother. I really wasn't loving the world. I really wasn't coveting. I mean, does that happen? Sure it does. People rationalize all the time. Believers do. So then look at the last part of the verse. He says, if we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar. Well, how do we make him a liar? By denying that what was revealed as sin is sin. You know what's interesting about it, though, is that it's in the present tense. This means we make him a liar and we continue to make him a liar by denying the fact that what we did was sin. I've had that happen in my life. I'm going to give you an illustration. Hopefully it will make some sense to you. 
You ever thought about whether or not you hated your brother or sister in Christ? You ever thought about that? That ever come up in your life? Where you're thinking, you know, I really don't hate that person. I'm just not hanging out with that person. I've had that happen several times in my Christian life. Where I have denied my presence with that person because truly in my heart, I had something against that person. There was sin that was taking root in my life. This is what happens. This is how it happens. Ready? Let's say you had two brothers or two sisters in the church and there is um, a quarrel there. And instead of both of them being responsible to making sure that relationship is right, because isn't that what the Lord wants? Then they just, what, ignore what's going on. And they might even say this, well, they're wrong. And I'm not going to make this right until they come to me. Think that happens? What happens? I know I've dealt with people like that. It's their problem. They're the one. Well, they may have been the one. But what's the responsibility, as I can see it from the scriptures, is that I, if, if, if Paul's writing in Romans and he says, as much as possible, be at peace with all men, that includes everyone. What about the believer? There's to be this sense of what? In the church, unity in the church. You remember in the book of Philippians, Paul points out two individuals. And what does he say to them? I mean, imagine the letter being written. And then being read. And you're sitting there and you're in Philippi and the church is gathered. And it reads this way. You two live in harmony in the Lord. That's tough stuff. So by not acknowledging what's going on in our lives. It can lead to sin. I'm going to show you how that happens in a few minutes. I call it a slippery slope. It's very progressive. It's tough. So he says, if we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar. His word is not in us. Man, that's strong. Well, what does that mean? The word logos there refers to doctrine or instruction. In other words, I'm not submitting to the word. In other words, here's what happens a lot of times. Well, the world says that's okay. What does God say? Have you heard people use those? Well, it's really not that bad. The world says, you know, it's just not that bad. And I participate in it, so it's not that bad. And I'm the one that's governing my own life. Versus, this is what God has said... So I am going to submit to him and let him govern my life and define what is right and wrong. That's a slippery slope. Because if you get going down this road here of the world, you can justify a lot of things. And even deny that it's sin. Which we talked about last week, the Nicolaitans were a group of people who you know, just indulge the flesh. And you hear people say at times, 
And you even hear Christians, I've heard Christians use the phrase, it's my life, it's my body. Hold on a second. But you've been bought. Yeah, but does the Lord really care? He cares. You've been bought with a price. Therefore, what's the next phrase? Glorify God in your body. I want to tell you something, people. I love you. And when we start examining our lives, really examining our lives, there's things going to come up to the surface. It's going to happen. You say, that, that's so discouraging. Okay, I'll give you that. But chapter 2, verse 1 is really encouraging. Because this advocate is always on the job. You're going to love verse 1. There's a theologian named Thaddeus. <laughs> My full name is Thaddeus, in case you want to know. I don't think I've ever said this. My full name is Thaddeus Calvin Blunt. In Thailand, they had to call me Calvin for reasons I won't get into. But Thaddeus said this says this, <laughs> we need to give careful and serious consideration to what walking in the light reveals. True or false? No. I'm really good about examining the lives of other people. Are you? There's a verse in Psalm 119 that I think is really appropriate for this particular study. Psalm 119.11, the psalmist says, I have treasured. You probably know it as I have hidden God's word in my heart. That word hidden is a good word, but the better translation of the term in the Hebrew is shared, or excuse me, stored up. I have stored up your word in my heart. That's the, that's the picture. I've stored up. What do squirrels do? They store up, don't they? I saw a picture the other day of this tree and all these like holes and and these acorns, and it was amazing. This tree was huge, and it was like there was acorns top to bottom. Squirrels were storing. Do you know, young people, I don't know, I'm sure you're, you're going to be familiar with this illustration. Back in the day, uh, I know my grandparents did it. They canned vegetables. Y'all ever heard of that? Any of you young people? Never, I mean... I mean, I said young people. <laughs> so young people, you got, okay. So what they do is like they get all these vegetables and they put them in a can or put them in a jar, right? I guess it's a jar, like a mason jar. And they, they put that top on it. That's a, it's the coolest looking thing. And then they store it up. Well, that's the word here. I have stored up, but instead of acorns and oak, or okra, and beans, it's, I have stored up your word. 
That's what the psalmist says. I've stored up your word in my heart. Why? What's that last phrase? So that I might not what? Sin against you. You say, well, that the word is in every single believer's heart. Is it? That's why young people listen. And this is a commercial. I'm very concerned about the future of the church. I'm very concerned in terms of storing up God's word. I am very concerned. But I'm very concerned that because there hasn't been an emphasis as much in churches, and I'm not talking about a particular church, but there's not been as much emphasis about storing up the word, right? Giving people the word so they can store it up in their lives. So I'm, I'm concerned that because there's not much of that going on, then, then Christians are just going to walk in life and try to battle this life in their own flesh, I'm concerned that one of the outcomes of this is that by not storing up the word and by not understanding like the simple phrase, this fits the illustration, that forsaking the assembling of yourselves together is not a good thing and it's against God and against what God says that the future of the church looks kind of tough. If you look at the church today, and I'm not going to mention any specific people or whatever, but I'm finding and just listening, there are a lot of excuses not to be in the body of Christ on a regular basis. I don't know about you, but I, I'm like the guy who told me years ago, he said, Thad, you're going to find as you get older in the Lord, that while you like being around your family, you're really going to like being around your church family. I love it. I need it. Well, there's two different viewpoints on this verse, so I'm going to give them to you. And uh, you can pray about that. One of the things I was thinking about as I was driving to my truck this week was I don't like infighting in the body. Can I, I'm just being honest. I just don't like it. And I think that it happens a lot of times because you have, when you come to passages like this, you have these guys who've been studying it for years and years and they say, I'm just right. And then you have people on this side and you know, they've studied it for years and years and I'm just right. And I'm like, well... Be nice if John the Apostle was here, wouldn't it? Kind of talk through it. So, while I do have a viewpoint, I hope I don't come across as I'm just right. I'm just throwing these things out to you for your consideration. There's the relationship view, and this is what uh, proponents of that, this view say. That this is a person who denies that they have sinned at all, ever. Okay, They're not acknowledging that they're a sinner. The tense of the verb suggests they have denied it at some point in the past and they continue to do so. Uh, John MacArthur is one that believes this view. And I like listening to John MacArthur. So, but this is what he says. Those who make the assertion that they have never sinned would have no need for a substitute to take their punishment. Is that true? 
Yes, person that would have that viewpoint. Yeah, that's true. They would say, hey, I don't sin. I don't need a substitute. And because sin is such a word that doesn't get talked about much, they would even deny they sin, right? At all. So that's what his viewpoint is. Since God has declared that all people are sinners, to deny that fact is to blaspheme God with slander that defames his name. So that's the relational viewpoint of the text. And then the fellowship view is this is a believer who denies that what was brought to light was really not sin, kind of like I was talking about earlier. Again, the tense of the verb suggests that this person, a believer, denied the sin at some point in the past and continues to do so. So those are the two viewpoints. What I'm going to tell you is you take it and you pray about it and let the Lord lead you. You know, um, I'm not the Holy Spirit and I'm not Jesus Christ and I don't, I don't claim to say, well, my view is the view. I'm just saying that from what I see in the text, I believe it's the fellowship view. But you allow the Lord to teach you. And it's interesting. I think that the Lord allows all these things, attention to exist, because it keeps us humble. <laughs> right? We can't, well, I'm right. I mean, you know, everybody has viewpoints on certain things. And some things really, really black and white, and some things are a little more difficult. J. Dwight Pentecost has this view. He says, for some, sin is a dreadful wrongdoing. I thought this was a really good statement, such as murder or adultery. You know, they're like, hey, that, those are big sins. Those are these sins. Rather than the waywardness that plagues most believers day after day. Fellowship with the Father does not result from redefining sin and making God a liar. So that's his viewpoint. That's the one that I hold to. I thought he did a really good job of explaining that. Because here's the reality of it. If you think about the church and how, how, it, how it is, you go, well, this person committed that sin, and man, it was so visible, and it was so wrong. And Well, okay, but pride is wrong. It is sin, right? Coveting is something that can happen in our lives. And we can deny that it's coveting, but it's sin. God does not want us to covet. So I just wanted to point out that those two views, and I'll continue to do so as I teach through the book, and I think that's the way to do it. I think if it's just, hey, Thad said this, and I mean, you know, you guys can read too, and a lot of you have your study Bible, so you're going to go, hey, that's not what John says. <laughs> so, right? So uh, that's not what John MacArthur says, so... Um, I wanted to show you, just before we, we close out today, um, I want to show you kind of a slippery slope, um, and I just want to use two illustrations. Um, the first one is in Ephesians chapter 4. I'd like you to turn there. Um, I know I have these verses on there, but I don't have all of them. Ephesians chapter 4, and... Um, I want to start in verse 26. So just to kind of give you context, in 4 through 6 of the chapters, Paul's talking about how we walk, and he uses the word walk five different times. And he says this is how you're to walk. And he says, in one case, he says, you're not to walk like the Gentiles walk, like the pagans walk. But when he comes to um, verse 26, he starts dealing with some things that are very practical in terms of the Christian's life. Now, isn't it interesting? He's writing to believers. So if you're writing to believers and you're telling them this, then it's possible 
that believers sin. Would you say that's true? Believers sin. More than possible. It happens. So he's, he's wanting them to understand some of the things that go along with living the Christian life. And he says, verse 26, be angry and yet do not sin. Is it possible to be angry and not sin? Answer, yes. You know, I have a hatred for the fact that abortion exists. Do you? I have, I have a hatred that man has redefined marriage. I have a hatred for that. I don't hate the individuals. I just don't like the fact that it exists. I don't like the fact that people are redefining God's word. Right? I, don't, I don't like that. So it is possible. He says, verse 27, do not give the devil an opportunity. <laughs> because, because it can happen really, really quickly. Okay? He said, then he gives some practical advice. He who steals must steal no longer. In other words, that's not to be a part of the believer's life. But rather, he must labor performing with his own hands what is good. By the way, just a brief note. It's good to work. Okay, that's all I want to say. So that he will have something to share with those in need. Isn't it interesting? He says, go work so you can share. Is that okay? That's okay. Go work so you can. I thought working was for me. No, in the body it's different. Go work so you can share with anyone who has need, which fits the pattern in the book of Acts, right? And how they conducted themselves. And then he says, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth. That word unwholesome is the word rotten. You smelled something that's rotten, hadn't you? You ever had the sewer line back up into your house? Ugh. That happened to us at the 1901 residence on Croydon Circle. Especially when we first moved in, there were roots that were in the pipes. And um, so we had to call people to come out and take care of all that because I'm not digging and doing that. And so they came out and they did that and there's roots in the pipes. But you know what happens when you flush and it's not able to go out? You, do, you get the picture? It comes back in. And it stinks. There's a lot of things that stink. Rotten potatoes, they stink. You ever notice that? Opened up a cabinet door and you're like, what is that smell? You walk in a college dormitory, b- bunch of guys. <laughs> we had a guy on the bottom floor at Southeastern. So he kept his door shut all the time. But when he opened it, oh my goodness. Talk about rotten, great illustration. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth. But only such a word that is good for edification according to the need of the moment. So that we'll give grace to those who hear. And then right in the middle of all this, he says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. What grieves the Spirit of God? Sin does. So I think we ought to keep that in mind when we examine our lives. We allow the Spirit of God to say, the Spirit revealed to me what's going on. By whom you were sealed, love that, you were sealed for the day of redemption. He's reminding them, hey, look, you can grieve the Spirit, but you belong to the Lord forever. Because what can sin do? It can get us down to the point where we're like, well, I don't think God can forgive me. Well, He does. Okay? We don't abuse that grace, but He does. Then He says this. And these words are progressive in the Greek language. Each one is a little bit stronger than the other. 
so that I'm going to suggest that because he's writing to believers, this can happen in our lives. Okay? And we can get to the point where there's wrath and there's anger that's a wrong kind of anger, clamor, slander, right? So he's being progressive here. He's just said, be angry and do not sin. That can happen. But if I'll just give you an example. If I, if I say, well, I don't like the fact that people are not um, today honoring uh, biblical marriage. It angers me. Does it anger you? But if I allow that to be personal with someone, the greatest need that that person has is not for me to be angry with them and to demonstrate that. What's the greatest need of that person that's off the path? The book, the truth. That's the greatest need. They need to understand that Jesus Christ died for them, right? They need to understand that salvation is available through the Lord Jesus. Um, okay, so he says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. You ever been bitter at your brother in Christ? Have you ever had it to the point where it's malice? That there's evil intent? Now, who wants to admit that in front of a lot of people? Nobody. But here's the reality of it. Can it get to that point? Is it possible that I can be on a slippery slope to the point where I have malice in my heart toward an individual? The answer is yes. Otherwise, why would Paul write it? Why would he say, hey, put it away, put it away? It has no place. What he's saying is, this has no place in the life of a believer. You say, Dad, but I can't get along with that person. Well, okay. Acknowledge that. Acknowledgement's good. But what am I going to do to heal that? See? Because I've had many situations in 31 years where I've had brothers and sisters in Christ really angry with me. Now, I can cross my arms and go, nah, they're not which creates this eventual bitterness in my own heart, or I can deal with the reality that, yes, I'm not right with them. And I need to be right with them. Now, I don't know where you stand in that, but this is my stance. I need to go make it right. I need to humble myself and do everything I can to make it right with my brother and sister in Christ. Let me show you the importance of that, and then we'll be done. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. This might help for next week. First Corinthians 11, in the context of the Lord's Supper, this is the agape feast, which was a love feast, and the body would get together, and they would share with one another. That was the idea. <laughs> and then part of that love feast was the remembrance of what the Lord Jesus had done. For them, and this is the church, these are believers. And you come to verse 26, he says, For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Who's you? Believers. You, the congregation there at Corinth. Therefore, 
because of that. And by, that's a weighty statement, by the way. See, you, when you're sitting there and, and you're taking the Lord's Supper together, you are testifying to the person sitting next to you. So he says, Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner, which you know what was going on here if you read the previous context, they were not sharing and they were getting drunk. Sin. That's what was going on. And so he says, Therefore, eats, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be what? Guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But a man must examine himself. And in doing so, he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. We'll talk about that word examine next week. For he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks what to himself, if he does not judge the body rightly? Judgment. Oh, no. This is a revelation. God judges the believer? Answer? Yes, he does. So that's why today I said earlier, we need to carefully examine, right? Seriously examine what God has said about sin. We don't let the world define sin. We don't let other people define sin. We go to God's word and say, you know what, God? I've sinned. I've had bitterness in my life towards someone else. I'm in love with the world. And you tell me not to be which he's, John's going to tell him in chapter 2. By the way, to do an examination of whether one loves the world or not, if you have a formula for that or you have some ideas, throw them out to me. I thought that about that a lot this week. And when I get to that text in 2, 15 through 17, I'm thinking, what does that mean to love the world? Does it mean it's wrong to have things? No. But can those things have me? Yeah, they can. So he says, For he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself, if he does not judge the body rightly. So what's he saying? Judge the body rightly. And then he says, For this reason, many among you are weak. That word there is a physical weakness. For this reason, many among you are weak and sick has to do with ailments. <laughs> Any of you have ailments out there? And a number sleep. The word sleep there is dead. Number of dead. A number of who are dead? Believers. Verse 31. Look at this. He uses this word judge a lot. But if we judged ourselves rightly. So what's he saying? Judge yourselves rightly. The word there, judged, means to examine carefully. It goes back to that word in verse 28. Let a man examine himself. It means that we're taking a look at what God says and then allowing the Spirit of God to reveal those things in our lives that are wrong, that are sin against God. Now, I've got great news for you. I think I need to interject this now. That when you came to Jesus Christ, you were declared righteous one time forever. So, we're dealing with what we're talking about as our daily life before the Lord. 
And you're going to see next week, you like the term advocate, okay? But if we judged ourselves or examined ourselves rightly, we would not be judged. So what's the understood thing here? Judge yourself rightly. But when we are judged, we are disciplined by the Lord. Who disciplines his children according to Hebrews 12? God disciplines those that are his children, those that belong to him. So that we will not be condemned along with the world. Because the world is condemned. And Paul said in Romans 8, 1. There is therefore now what? No condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And all God's people said, hallelujah. There's no condemnation. But when I get saved and I begin living the Christian life. That sin thing keeps coming up. And I can ignore it. I can deny it. Or I can deal with it and accept the grace of forgiveness that God offers. Because the world will be condemned. So then he says, hey, brethren, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. (laughs) If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home so you will not come together for judgment. There's that word again. Remaining matters I will arrange when I come. Don't you know that last little phrase there? I'm like, if you're, if you're reading this and you're in the congregation, like, can't wait till he gets here. Because there's lots of things that he's dealt with in the previous chapters that had to do with sin. So I'm encouraging all of us this morning, and I am encouraging us, to think about our own lives. And I'll just begin with mine. You, you deal with your life with the Lord. I want to end with this, um, this uh, statement by Wayne Barber. I thought it was very appropriate. The ability to see sin in others and ignore your own heart is one of the distinguishing characteristics of a Pharisee. And being a Pharisee is so easy. Very easy. Being a Pharisee says, that's what they're doing. I need to examine my own life. I want to tell you, when I first considered that, it was years ago. In fact, I remember the occasion. I was 12 years old. Can you imagine that? That's been a couple of months ago. I was 12 years old. And I was sitting, and there was like this youth rally, and this pastor came, and he's speaking. And I'll never forget him saying this. You may be saved, and that's great. How are you living your life? And I remember sitting in that chair going, I don't don't want to consider that. You know what? As I look at 1 John... I was thinking about the fellowship that we enjoy with the Lord. And I was thinking, I wonder really how much time in my Christian life have I spent really thinking about that peace called fellowship. You know what's amazing? The Lord wants fellowship with you and he wants it with me if we belong to him. And it's available every single day. And there's no reason for us to say, no, Lord, that wasn't sin. We need to say, yeah, Lord, 
It's sin. And I confess it. And you know what he does? Forgiven. And he doesn't, aren't you glad? He doesn't forgive like man forgives. Man holds it over our heads until we change. <laughs> Imagine that. But the Lord's forgiveness is like that. And it's all the time. And I don't know about your life, but I know about my life. I need it all the time. As we're going to find out next week, our advocate is present all the time. Let's pray. Let's pray. Lord, we just have a couple of minutes here to just think about our life. I, I pray, Lord, that you would help us. You know, I look at Peter's life and, I mean, what must that have been like for him? And to see what you reveal in, in, in John 21 and... Um, Lord, just your grace, your forgiveness. We would admit that we are easily entangled in sin. And so I just pray that you would help us by your spirit to be honest with you. And if there is a sin right now in our life we haven't dealt with, that your spirit would convict us of that. And if that means we need to go to another brother or sister, then we do it by your grace. Help us to do it. Um, I just pray, Lord, because it is true that there's freedom that comes from being honest. And so I pray that you would help us. Your word tells us the truth will set us free. And so I pray that as your spirit works in our lives, as we walk with you as we're close to you and things are revealed the dust under the furniture is revealed the, the 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 trash under the carpet so to speak in our lives that that we would recognize that you want fellowship with us and that sin impedes that so help us we pray by your spirit to walk each day according to your word. And I pray that we, even those of us who may be a little older, that we would hide your word in our heart so that when those things come up that are sin in our lives, we'd recognize it for what it is. We pray you'd help us to live by your spirit this week. May Jesus Christ be honored and glorified. And it's in his name I pray. Amen. I wanted to share a couple of things with you before uh, we leave today. We're not going to have a closing song unless you'd like me to sing. Um, one of the things that's important for the elders to do is to be accountable to you in terms of how we spend money. And then um, kind of every once in a while we need to reveal that to you guys. Um, we don't necessarily tell you every time we buy a bag of paydays or whatever. But... Um, we do buy paydays. They're in Amanda's office. If you want one, come by. I can get one for you. The elders and deacons eat them on elder deacon nights. Because a lot of times the guys come here and we hadn't eaten supper. We're hungry. Um, but one of the things we're responsible to do is just to be accountable, right? So um, I wanted to let you know we spent some money on our air purification system.
here at the church, a few thousand dollars, and did everything we could to, to make it a little safer, I guess. Uh, apparently, there's a, a Corey Cooper and his, um, his business, they installed it all. So if you have any issues, see Corey. <laughs> He's not here today. You throw him under the bus. Poor guy. He's got the flu. We need to pray for him. But um, Anyway, so we spent some money on that and had it all done throughout the building, this building, as well as the Children's Center. So just want to let you guys know that. And um, you know, we are thinking about you. We don't always come out here every Sunday and say it, but we are thinking about you, thinking about the spiritual health primarily of our body. We do think about the physical health, and as we've gotten older, there's a lot of, a lot of people with a lot of physical needs, so um, you pray for, for them. But I just want to let you know about that. Also, we issued a challenge back in October about a matching fund that was up to $100,000. So at the time, we owed on the building $220,000, and as of today, right now, we owe $120,000. And 25000 of the matching that was given by some families has not been given yet. So if you take that 25000 down, you're to $95,000 that we would owe on the building. All I can say is praise the Lord. And um, I'm going to issue another challenge. You like that? I don't do this too. I don't talk about money. If you're visiting, I don't talk about money a lot. But I just keep having these dates. So I'm like, hey, let's have it paid off by Easter. Wouldn't that be nice? And uh, so that's mid-April, in case you're wanting to know when it is. But I wanted to give you an update about that, and um, we just praise the Lord for his provision. And um, he is just so, so good to us, and we're so, so thankful. Um, It's good to be with all of you today. It's good to see you. Uh, You're looking at one person. I'm looking at a few. Um, And so as Ron said, I think earlier, he says, good to see your smiling faces I don't know what it was about this morning. Maybe you walked outside and just started smiling because it was cold. But um, we're thankful that you've been here today. If you've been visiting with us, we're thankful that you're a part of our service today. Also, there will be a New to Grace class. I've been asked by two or three about that. We'll do that probably in April. So just wanted to, to throw that out there to you guys. All right? Y'all hungry? Oh, thank you, David. So next week is the Lord's Supper, next Sunday. And I moved baptism. I moved it partly because of my leg. I didn't want to drop anybody up there. <laughs> I mean, you know. I've done that before. Yeah, I've hit two guys in the corner of their heads in the back. They're all right. They're still alive. Um, <clears throat> but if you want to be baptized, we have a little more time now. We're going to do it the last Sunday of this month. And I would encourage you to pray about that and um, with the Lord. I know there will be some candidates for baptism. And uh, I would encourage you, because I'm going to uh, do a little message on it on the 20th of this month on baptism. So if you have some reservations, hopefully that message can kind of clear some things up for you. So, all right. It's good to see you. Y'all ready for me to say you're dismissed, aren't you? You're dismissed.